Welcome to the Monday podcast. Matt's going to read to us from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know how very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. You then, my son. This is, uh, this is classic Paul. He, he, he uses this phrase quite a bit. And what he's saying is this. Um, uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes have deserted me, but Onesiphorus has stood by me. He was unashamed of me. You then, my son, what are you going to do? I think that's the background colour to this section. Some have deserted, few stood firm. What are you going to do, Timothy? Because he is wavering. If even Phagalus and Hermogenes, you know, these well-known people, apparently, could desert, well, then so could Timothy. And this letter is Paul giving him resolve, calling him to stand firm, to be brave. Timothy, come on, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. It's the same thing he said in verse 6. Fan into flame the gift God gave you. Verse 13, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Do the thing you should be doing. Look to God and he will help you. But also, verse 2, enlist others. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, this is the verse that launched a thousand theological colleges and with good reason. You've heard my teaching, pass it on to reliable people so that they can pass it on to others. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? You don't have to do that in theological colleges. Actually, it needs to be done in churches. I just got back from uh, the Gospel and Class Conference calling on the church not to ignore working class communities across the country. Make up 45% of the nation. One guy was saying that the key is not to overlead. I've been bred, he said, for productivity, to make the most of every minute of the day, to do more in less time. And what that means is you get a strong church in this generation, but it fails in the next because no one else has been trained and there hasn't been room for them to lead. So if you want to plan a church on a council estate, he says you need to underlead, deliberately leave some things undone so that people have to step up and do the work. 
I wonder whether we're encouraging others to lead with us. Are we giving them time and space? Are we helping to train them? I'm not talking about in classrooms, but training them alongside us in the job, chatting over how it went afterwards in the car, planning the next one over lunch. So we won't train if we think we have to do all the work ourselves because we won't have time. But we also won't train if we think the, worst, the work's not worth doing. I, I, I'm doing it because I've got to, but I, to be honest, I'm pretty fed up with it. It hacks me off at times. Nobody seems to care what I do. Will anyone pick it up when I step down? Doesn't really matter. Look, everyone who's listening to this podcast, everyone is doing an important work for God in our church family. Do you know that? You're leading a home group or a youth ministry. You're leading one of our ministry team areas. You're an elder. It's vitally important. So who are you raising up to replace you? Because if you don't, the chances are nobody else will. And are you looking for the right person? Uh, Massively gifted people who lack courage and character and not the people we're looking for. Actually, unless they change, we're wasting our time training them. Because when the pressure increases, and it will, they'll desert, either theologically or in person. So be prayerful. Think about people you might overlook at first. Think twice about people who are the obvious candidates. They may be absolutely right, but think about their character. Will they be courageous or will they be cowards when it gets tough? And it will get tough. In verse 3, Paul gives Timothy the most unattractive invitation in Scripture. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. All Christian ministry involves suffering. The suffering we thought about in chapter 1 was shame. Here in chapter 2, Paul gives Timothy three illustrations to chew over. He says this at the end, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Now, again, that's used often as a verse to help people spend time meditating on God's word. But in context, I wonder if it's got a slightly sharper tone. Has Timothy begun to wander off track You think about it, son. Is God saying something to you? That's the kind of the feel. Why don't we ask ourselves the same thing? The problem is, of course, what on earth do these illustrations mean? They're rather like a a parable. You can melt them for all they're worth. So uh, let's try turning them into imperatives, into commands. What would they say? The soldier, verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Oh, don't be a deserter. You can't go AWOL and be a soldier. You need to please your commanding officer and stay on the job. The athlete, verse 5, does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Don't be a cheat. Runners need to compete according to the rules, not to take drugs or trip their opponents over. The farmer, verse 6, well, he's described simply as hard working. Don't be lazy. You'll never receive a share of the crops if you sit on your backside all day. Now, 
Put like that, all these illustrations are cutting the same way. Timothy, don't desert and leave me in the gospel. Don't cheat and try and escape the pain to get to the finishing line. Don't be lazy and duck the tough things you need to do. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, can you feel the slightly critical edge to that? Come on, Timothy. Get back to the job. Don't desert. Don't cheat. Don't be lazy. Do the work you've been called to do. I wonder where does this challenge us? Are we more prone to desert, to cheat, or to be lazy? If I'm being very honest with you, and I've reflected on this, I think I'm tempted by all three. At times, to desert, to simply quit, to find an easy job, to walk away. To cheat, to lack integrity in conversations, to say what people want to hear, to massage the truth, to lie, to exaggerate. And to be lazy, to do the easy jobs and neglect the hard conversations, the difficult decisions and the awkward people. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Thank you.